Radio. Brought a special guest in this week, Brendan, because I feel like we've been off track the last. <sighs> it's time. It's time. We got to get this thing back on. I got somebody from the movie we just watched from Brighton Rock. From Brighton Rock. That, no, this is not like a background extra. No, and actually, the reason was is this was really easy because they're all dead. I'm pretty sure they're all dead. They're all dead. I don't think there's anybody in Brighton Rock that's still alive. Probably even the, not. Even the tiniest child you saw on the beach is probably fucking dead. Yeah, they died of a heart attack in like '93. Brendan, would you like to have a feature on Amazon where if you're watching a movie and you press pause on the x-ray, it points out everybody in the scene and tells you whether they're alive or dead? Because um. I do. I want that. <laughs> I mean, is that not a feature already? It should be. Wow. Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, <laughs> and I know you are because you listen to everything. Jason, you're making your guest wait in the green room. No, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to, to speak about last week's movie, I, I bring to you the great Sir Richard Attenborough. Yes, hello, yes, hello, yes, it's so good to meet you all, yes. Uh, hello, sir. Uh, uh, yes, yes, hello, yes, uh, Richard Attenborough here. I don't, I don't remember if I've been on the podcast before, and there's a good chance that if I was, I didn't quite sound the same way. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you're just disguising the voice. Yeah, well, because like- I know you watched my film Gandhi. Well, Republican heaven doesn't like what he believes, right? No, 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 no. They're, they're, they're quite angry about it, but the border guards, you see, they don't do anything because I'm not white man. Mm. Yes, and even that makes it makes a difference. Okay, okay. Yes, no, you boys watched my movie Gandhi. Yes, I, I heard you liked it very much. Uh, y- yeah. Jason, don't you fucking tell him I didn't care for it. Okay, I mean, I, I really liked it. Yeah, you can tell him. You can tell him you liked it. Tell him you liked it. I, I really liked that movie, uh, Sir Richard. I, I thought it was great. But but really, I actually, I mean, m- most, you know, Brendan and I and, and most people uh, from Canada, like you, you know, like we are, we're from Canada. We know you from Jurassic Park. Ah, yes, it's the dinosaurs. Yes, I absolutely, absolutely love that movie. And I was quite disappointed that they didn't offer me a role in the new ones. Uh, well, sir, I believe you were deceased at the time. I, yes, I understand that. I'm not stupid. Do you think I'm stupid, boy? No. That's right, I'm not. But I don't know if you saw in the late 90s, you see, there was a commercial... A commercial for uh, uh, Earlville Redenbacher Popcorn. Okay. Yes. And they brought Orville, who was a wonderful man, I should say. We were friends. Who brought Orville Redenbacher back from the dead. Are you he danced around, I think with a vacuum or something. Or maybe that was different. I don't know. But they brought him back. So they could have used CG to bring me back. And then my family, my, my delightful family, whom I loved very much, could have gotten a little taste. So are you saying, as an official statement from all celebrities yes. dead, um, that that when, when people do this, we will bring dead celebrities back to life, seemingly, to put them in new movies. You think uh, this this is something that all dead celebrities support? Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, we are unanimous on this. And you feel like... Any Anyone who doesn't support it is is a liar. Oh, 100%. Okay. No question. We're all fine with it. As long as our families get a little taste, you see. Do you understand what I'm saying, Brendan? You get a little taste. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Am I right? <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, Jason, Jason is he okay? Uh, Sir Richard? Oh, yes. No, I'm fine. I, just, I have a strange laugh. <laughs> 
So uh, we're about to start here. If you want to introduce the podcast. Oh yes, I was in Brighton Rock as well. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, I was very young. Very young. Very mm. sexy. Oh, you know it. What are you watching this week, Brendan? Uh, He's a fan. He, he does listen. We're watching. We're watching Far from the Madding Crowd, Mr. Attenborough. Oh, I don't like that one. <laughs> That's tr- okay. I don't. I don't approve of country people. You see, I think they're dirty and I think they're stupid. Oh, um, all right, all right. Look, we are very much a pro worker, pro farmer podcast, one hundred percent, Mr. Richard. And I don't appreciate that kind of elitism on here. Why don't you go fuck yourself, you dirty boy? All right, I'm going back to Republican heaven where people can appreciate a person like me. Goodbye, jetpack. Wow, he turned into a real dick. Get it? You know, uh, get it, Richard? Uh, yeah, Richard. Ah! Yeah. No, because I mean, Richard and Dick, yeah. you can use them interchangeably. Yeah, but you could. We, I mean, maybe he went by Rich. We didn't call him Dick. Look, there's no need for this. <laughs> this is a podcast, mm. apparently, allegedly. This, I mean, eventually, apparently, eight, we talk about British movies. <laughs> Twenty-five minutes in, you will hear some discussion about a British. We'll get film. there. We just have to. We just have to finish jerking <laughs> off, and then you guys are good to, to come in and join us. Basically, as soon as I finish, I blink twice to Jason, and he knows to cue us into the opening. That's right. That's where we go. Music up. Uh, tissues down. <laughs> so uh, this is a podcast about British film. Um, I am Brendan. I'm Jason. And this podcast is called For Screen and Gundre. Jason, what do we do on this show? On this show, Brendan, we randomly go through the British Film Institute's top list of, it is the top list of all the lists they've made. This is the top list. The top list of the top 100 British films of all damn time as ordained my friend, in the year of our Lord, 1999. Yes, that is what we do most of the time. Yes. We have little offshoots that we do. But, oh, I, I thought we're going to be like, wait, oh, shit, are we doing a bread pick this week? No, I no. swear we watched a movie on the list, because that's Jason, what I watched. I hope you watched <laughs> Sex Lives of the Potato Men, because oh, that's no. what we're talking about this week. Oh, no. Oh, it's my worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, oh, and sh- I'm naked, too. Oh, <laughs> damn it. My hand is in a big bowl of pudding. <laughs> Wait, that's not pudding. Oh. <laughs> no! And that has been Jason's dream. Yeah. Podcast, British film, top 100. Got it. That's you what we're it. doing. You, you guys understand you're not stupid. Most you, of you probably have listened before. Some of you may be new. If you're new, hey. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. We Thank will you. talk about movies. Um, we're getting there. You just have to get, because we have personalities and we have to express them. And uh, in the rest of our week, we don't have the opportunity because we both work jobs where expressing your personality is verboten. So uh, we need to get it out now. So we're going to get to this week's movie in a minute here. But before we do that, we're gonna, we need to read some comments about last week's film. And that, of course, was Brighton Rock. Good morning, good morning, it's time to read some comments. Good morning, good morning to you and you and you and you. Comments are coming around, we don't have a lot so I gotta waste time. Well, no I don't, we can have a shorter section. So that was true, but you lied, you lied at the start because it's not morning where we are, Brendan. It is is Atlantic time 723. No, you don't understand, Jason. When I post this episode, Mm. okay, are you listening to me? I'm listening to you, Jesus. 
Thank you, but it's Brendan's fine. Oh, okay. When I post this episode, it's going to post in the morning, in the wee hours of the morning, nah. and then actually in the afternoon till about midnight again, it comes off. Could we? I take it off, and then I post it again the next morning. I say, could we? Could we dynamically set it so that the intro is different depending on the time of day? So if you download in the afternoon, it says, you know, good afternoon, good afternoon to you. So we've got comments about the film we talked about last week. Brighton Rock. Brighton Rock. Not the drug. If it is a drug, I mean, it has to be, right? I mean, I know, I don't know. Did we figure that out last time? It's I don't not, know. It's not a drug. It's a candy. So we got some comments here, Jason. I'm going to start us off here. We got a comment from our listener, Caitlin Davis. And, she, and Caitlin says about Brighton Rock, it's so good. Attenborough is incredible here. I grew up with him in the likes of Jurassic Park and Miracle Miracle on 34th Street, so it was very eye-opening to see just how much range he had. Uh, his performance in 10 Rillington Place is absolutely chilling. I haven't hmm. seen him in, in... I don't think I've ever seen him in something where he was like a scary guy, so no. that's why in this movie... See, even reading the description of Brighton Rock before we saw it, I'm like, okay, so he's like an anti-hero and he's kind of a... Well, just reading it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I That's the impression you would get from a modern perspective of how they would go with this movie. I couldn't picture Richard Attenborough being a total villain. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, thank you, Kaylin. I will check out 10 Rylanton Place. Our next comment, Brendan, comes from a listener, Brett Sonnenshine, and Brett writes, I saw this at a revival theater many years ago, sitting next to a man eating a smelly sandwich he'd snuck into the theater. When the twist ending is revealed, he yelled out, that's Graham Greene for you. <laughs> Guys, stop bringing gross food into theaters. I know we haven't been there in a while, and I know we're all, like, I know, well, I mean, it's different here. We, we've been in theaters for, we've been going back to theaters for a while. No big deal. Don't worry about it. But, like, a lot of places, you know, they're going to start to go back to theaters slowly. And I just want to, this is a PSA mm. for everyone. Just remember, don't bring smelly food to theaters. Ooh. Just, you know, popcorn. But wouldn't it be so awesome to watch, like, Aquaman and be eating a bunch of sardines when you're no. doing it? No. Wouldn't no, that be fantastic? That'd be like going to see Sin City and smoking. It'd be the best. Can I smoke in the theaters? No, you can't, Jason. And I believe we've had this conversation I mean, when I was working at the theater. I would, I would really like to smoke in the theater. I don't even smoke anymore. You didn't I'd smoke, still want to smoke in the You didn't theater. smoke in the theater, but I remember having to... <laughs> Funny story. I was working at the cinema one day, and someone comes out of the theater and says, I think there's a gentleman smoking in the movie theater. <laughs> I walk in, and there's old Jason sitting there <laughs> puffing his vape pen. <laughs> it was in the old days. It was before uh, It was before vapes were really a, a thing that people knew about, so Ex I just figured I could get away with it. Excuse me, sir. Oh, oh hey, Jason. <laughs> That's basically how that went. That's uh, fine. It's fine. You know me. This is fine. Um, our next comment comes from Julian Oldham. Julian Oldham says, I like it a lot, but the novel is better. The film can't fully capture the unique interiority slash existential horror of the book, and one or two of the plot changes don't work for me, the broken record especially. Uh, the film wouldn't work anywhere near as well without Brighton, Hermione Baddeley, and Richard Attenborough's dead eyes. They were some dead-ass eyes, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know anything about the book, so I'm not sure. I mean, it, well, surely they would have... I wonder if they remade this in some capacity or if this, there were, I mean, it feels they like something get, they put Jimmy Cagney in. This did get remade. Yeah, yeah, but I mean like as an American film. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah, no. They probably, they had lots of gangster pictures anyways. They didn't need to remake a British one. That's never happened. Never. <laughs> get Carter. 
Our next, uh, yeah, shit. Our next comment, Brendan, comes from Davey Morrison, and young Davey writes. Davey, Davey Morrison, he wrote a comment to the podcast. Yes, he did. Thank you, Davey. Thank you for suffering through Brendan's uh, incessant joking. This is not a joking podcast. This is a serious podcast, and Davey has a serious comment. Davey writes. Davey, <sighs> Davey Morrison has a serious comment for the podcast. Davey writes. Uh, I thought the ending with the broken record was a pretty ingenious bit of adaptation to find a different cinematic version of the inherently literary source material. Ultimately, I don't think the film can measure up to the book, but I think it's a pretty great case study in adaptation and a wonderful movie. Davey liked the movie, even though he felt it wasn't quite as good as the book. Well, we're old and cynical, and we cut our teeth in the late 90s and early 2000s, Brendan, and we're an edgy sort, you know, our generation, and, you know, we like it when there are sad endings. That's the thing. We like sad. We like, we like endings where lots of people die. Um, you're not uh, your fucking khakis. That's right. You as they say. You're fucking khakis. You are, you're, Those guys you're, were role models. That's what we're yeah. supposed to gain from that, right? Project Mayhem. is, is it's, it's a way to live, really. Like Ty- Tyler Durden is is a lifestyle. Tyler, or as the kids would say now, Jason, Tyler Durden is a whole mood. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he is. That that movie did establish a dirtbag aesthetic. Are we, are we Tyler Durden stands? I do love that movie. Last comment. Final comment. Final comment. It's the final comment. <laughs> Ryan Cerrote says, love it. One of the better British gangster slash noir films. I'm a big fan of the novel. It comes up a lot. Uh, the adaptation of Green's book done by him and the great Terrence Radigan is really solid. It's a role that you don't think of with Attenborough, but he's so good in it. The 2010 remake with Sam Riley as Pinky is meh. I, I guess this is more from a, a retrospective look, but like, yeah, growing up, I knew Richard Attenborough from yeah, movies like Miracle on 34th Street. I thought you were going to say personally. For I knew him personally. He was a great man. He was very grandfatherly. Um, Every time you went to his house, did he say, welcome to my home? He mean, welcome to my kitchen. I'm just going to do the same joke as you, but slightly different and, and less funny. Richard, do you have to do that for every room? Welcome, welcome. to the den. <laughs> Oh, no. As soon as you walk into his bedroom, it just cues up. And then, it just, and then he just goes, boom, boom. And then it goes, doo, doo, doo. But, like, growing up with, with him, he was in a lot of, like, movies that I considered more, like, failing movies. He always played, like, nice roles in his later life because he had that grandfatherly look to him. But then, like, it, it kind of reminds me of, I imagine, I guess it's more in retrospect, but it reminds me of how it must have been for, like, Henry Fonda seeing, like, when Henry Fonda played a bad guy in one of my favorite movies, Once Upon a Time in the West, you know, that was a, uh, that's the only time I think the man ever played a bad guy in a movie. And he's fucking crazy good in that movie. He's so fucking creepy and scary. And, and the only way they could get away with making him a bad guy and having you believe it is that in the opening scene, I believe he kills a child. He does kill a child. He, uh, <laughs> well, it, well, he kills a child because somebody calls him. He says, Frank. He says, what are we going to do with the kid, Frank? And he goes, well, now that you've said my name. And then they executes the kid. Right. That's a... Oof. Yeah. Cold as shit. Well, Jason... Um, it, are your shits cold? Because mine are. I'm not... I'm, there's nothing about me right now that's cold. That's true. Um, <laughs> it is a boiling day, folks. Well, I'll shit on your chest and then you'll be cool. Um, you mind doing that for me or... We'll work something now. Okay. We'll work out a payment structure. We'll do it during the break. Um, <laughs> but Jason, those are the comments. So our last thing here, and mm-hmm. I would like you to to give us this information because we need to compare this movie 
we need to uh, check the AFI Top 100. That's the American Film Institute uh, Top 100 Movies of All Time. And compare uh, number 15, because that is what Brighton Rock is on the BFI Top 100. So tell me, Jason, well, what is number 15 is on the American week. Film Institute Top 100 films? This is a red-letter week, because I've seen both movies. Oh, shit. Wait, of course you're going to see one of the movies. <laughs> no, but I'm saying it's a red-letter week, because I've seen both of them. Okay. Number 15 on the AFI list, Brendan, is 1968 Stanley Kubrick science fiction uh, masterpiece, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, come on. Brighton yeah. Rock, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Brighton Rock's cool and everything, but I mean, 2001 A Space Odyssey, I have watched numerous times. I, mean, I watched it once on acid, and I'll a, tell you, I didn't understand it anymore. It's a staple. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's. It's a movie that everyone's heard of. It's a visual, like, it's like a tone poem in some ways. I mean, is there really a plot to 2001? I mean, I couldn't explain to you the plot of 2001. I mean, there, there kind of is. There's guys in a spaceship, but, like, and then there's a computer, and then everybody goes fucking nuts at the end. And there's the space baby. We're talking about 2001 A Space Travesty, right? Starring Leslie Nielsen? Yeah, obviously. That's number 15 that's the on the AFI? Or 2010 with John Lithgow? Yeah, let's... No. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, 2001, obviously, but I will say I really, really love Brighton Rock and for it yeah. to have to go up against this movie is crim criminally unfair. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Brighton Rock certainly uh, doesn't have the same reputation coming into it, but um, it, it's it's hard to compete with a, a film that is not only a legendary film in of itself, it's a revolutionary, like technical. Now, now, what if Richard Attenborough played Hal? Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer too. So that about wraps it up. I think on that note, we will move on. We will talk about this week's movie, Far From the Matting Crowd, but close to your hearts. That quaint uh, pastoral, pastoral, music. pastoral music can only mean one thing. We are talking about um, quite an epic. Mm. Uh, we are talking about Far From the Madding Crowd, number 79 on the BFI Top 100, directed by John Schlesinger. The second of four total versions of this film that are, are committed to celluloid, as I understand. Many different versions, and based on a novel by Thomas Hardy. Mm. Yes, that's um, Thomas Hardy. Yes, this is the version from 1967. And and uh, John Schlesinger, we should note, you you actually mentioned, I thought you were going to say uh, one of his four films on this list because this is one of his four films on this wow. list. What have we watched so far? Uh, all we've watched so far is Darling oh, and this. And wow. we've got two more to go. Is Julie Christie in either of them? Julie Christie was in Darling. Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, oh. in the other two. She's in one of the next two. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we don't. We're not. Don't worry. We're we're not ending Julie Christie on this list yet. And who else uh, would we say is involved in this film? Who's the cinematographer on this movie, Brendan? The cinematographer on this movie is the is the co-director of a movie we talked about a few episodes ago, Performance, and that is Nicholas Rogue. Also, who directed? Also, who directed? Don't look now. There we go, baby. Connections everywhere. It's like fucking Star Wars in here. So this movie. 
Far from the Madden crowd. Clocks in at a uh, astonishing 170 minutes. Staggering! Staggering. Not uh, really. It's not the long. I mean, I think Lawrence might be the longest movie we've watched. Oh, yeah. This isn't the long. I think Bridge in the River Kwai might even be no, close to No, I'm pretty sure this. Lawrence is almost four hours long in its current <gasps> No, version. no. I'm just saying Kwai, I think, may be longer than this. Oh, yeah. Maybe. But this movie stars our old pal who we haven't seen in so long, Julie Christie. Yes. As uh, Bathsheba. She's the main the main character in this film. Now um, Bathsheba or Bathsheba? Well, they always say Bathsheba, okay. so I guess that's how you pronounce what it, or maybe that's name. how you pronounce it if you're isn't British. Isn't that the name of the? Isn't that like the name of the main character in that movie I told you about? Oh no, that's is that Sheba? T two Judgment Day? No, no, Sheba, Sheba, the the where she rides around on a fucking Sheena. unicorn. Sheena, oh Sheena. Yeah. No, okay. she doesn't play that role. Okay. We also have Terrence Stamp, a very young Terrence Stamp. As Ten years out from being General Zod. And by the way, Terrence Stamp looking like a goddamn fox. Wait, uh, was was Superman 1977? 78, yeah. Okay, so 11 years. Yeah, Still, like, he's a stone-cold fox. Oh, yeah, no, he's looking very good. And, of course, we have Peter Finch, 10 years out from being dead. Yeah, and being in a performance that most people think of uh, when they think of Peter Finch, Network, yeah. 1976. Howard I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And not Richard Nixon, like you might think that was. <laughs> no, he's gravelly like that. Yeah, so Peter Finch plays William Boldwood. We have another person returning as G- Alan Bates playing Gabriel Oak. Just as horny a character as he's played previously, but much more repressed in that horniness. Um. Yeah, I liked him more here. <laughs> he was he wasn't super I wasn't like super into his character in Women in Love. He's not he's not talking, he's not making some weird uh, uh conversation about uh, what's clearly a metaphor for genitals. Spoiler alert and this may shock everyone. I think I liked this movie more than Women in Love. Oh, well, that, think about that folks as we continue. Um I want to note a couple of other people. I uh, know we haven't really talked about them before, but Fiona Walker as Liddy sticks out yeah. uh prunella ransom in this in her debut her screen debut playing fanny mm-hmm. um and yeah that's about it there's I some mean, other there's people lots of, there's lots, lots of, of people this british is people in this movie three hour movie those are yeah. the main players though yeah. so jason this is a movie that we were kind of dreading yeah well we always dread three hour movies just because it's a lot of commitment but Number one, is, this movie has an intermission, so that was a bonus. It has an intermission, and it has an overture at the beginning. And an entr'acte. And it an even entr'acte. has a fucking entr'acte. But we have talked about three-hour movies before, and I feel like the only one so far that really was a hard slog was The English Patient, because that I think that was close to three hours at least. Yeah, no, for sure, and that was just almost unbearable. But this movie, I think, for being long, it works for what it's going for, because it essentially, the, the intermission is a break between what are kind of two different movies in some ways. Uh, the first one is like a, a love story, and the back half is uh, uh, the crumbling of that love story. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me. Now, see, I was going in and saying like, okay, if this is a, if this is like English Patient, this is going to be a chore because it's three hours. Um, it's also like a romance story, which I'm not going to be like that dude and be like, oh, romance. No. But if it's not captivating me, I yeah. have a hard time and, paying and attention I'm to will, it. I'm, you know, I'm a big enough person to admit, certainly I have a bias against romance movies. And maybe that is that misogynistic factor of growing up. But I generally, the romance stuff in a movie doesn't really interest me. Yeah. I'm more interested in whatever else is going on. And You're more hate, interested in the sex. Yeah, the sex and the, the blow up stuff. The blowjobs. Uh, well, yeah, and, and the sex with blow up dolls. In the movie Blow Up. Yeah. Oh, that was my favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird threesome. That was the 60s. Um, 
Yeah, so we had, I think we had low expectations going into this. Mm-hmm. I think we were kind of dreading this. Yeah. I'm going to say right now, just to spoil this right now, I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I had a good time. I, I I enjoyed watching this film. It's an interesting movie. Um, okay, we're going to have a difference, a difference of opinion here <laughs> a little bit. But it's certainly, I, you would admit, it is certainly no English patient. No. no. Uh, it, it is certainly more captivating than that. And we have a great fucking cast in this movie. We do, absolutely. Um, 100%. Julie Christie, right out of the gate, yeah. is, the, is the one who's carrying this thing on her goddamn shoulders. Yeah, let's talk about her for a sec. Her character... Uh, we, we should talk about what this movie's about. All right, okay. So this movie basically boils down to we have Bathsheba. She's a young lady. Her father or uncle... I think her, book, uncle. Yeah, her uncle. Yeah, her uncle. Because in the book, it's the same. And she is a lady whose uncle died and bequeathed to her his farm. So she's a bit of an oddity at this time. This is set in like the 1800s. Yeah. Um, uh, she's a woman who owns a farm. And she, of course, being a young woman who owns a farm she, and she's not married... She is incredibly eligible, and the very beginning of this movie sees a young man come to see her to propose marriage to her, a guy that doesn't even know her, and, and that is our friend Alan Bates. And why don't very forward in an Alan Batesian way? And why don't we start right away with that? Let's yeah. let's watch. Let's well, let's listen. Jason and I are going to watch because we're cool as fuck. Uh, uh, before before we watch this or listen to this, I just want to say that in the book, uh, I think that there's a longer lead up to this, but in this movie, this happens pretty quickly. Mm. Yeah. I know I can make you happy. You shall have a piano in a year or two. Farmers' wives are getting to have pianos now. Oh, I should like that. And I could practice up the flute, play for you in the evenings. You shall have one of those little ten-pound gigs for market. Really? And a frame for cucumbers. And when the wedding's done, we'll have it put in the papers. Oh, I should love that. And the baby's in the list of births. And at home by the fire, whenever I look up, there you will be. And whenever you look up, there I shall be. I'm sorry, but it's no use. Why? Because I don't love you. Well, now, that is a tale. You chase after a man, then you say you don't want him. I didn't chase after you. I just didn't want you thinking I was any man's property. Look, Mr. Oak, you're a farmer just beginning. And in common prudence, you ought to marry a woman with money who can clear you of debt and stock up a good farm for you. That's the very thing I've been thinking myself. Then why'd you come here bothering me? Perhaps because I can't bring myself to be prudent. I see. How can you possibly expect me to marry someone who can't be prudent? Now, Bathsheba, I'll wait a while. I love you far more than common. I'm sorry, but I don't love you a bit, so it'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Very well. And I shall ask you no more. I kind of like that. I like that scene because it, no, I like it, that scene it, it does a very, it does a, it's an interesting way of establishing Julie Christie's character since we're talking about Bathsheba here. Um, 
She don't need no man, really. No. I mean, she's very she's very independent for the most part. There are some things where she has to, you know, obviously this later scene where her sheep get very sick and she has to reach out to him and everything. But Yeah, but also none of the other men know what the fuck they're doing either. Exactly. But for the most part, she she is very in control of any situation. Yeah. Um <laughs> she goes there like that whole scene like you know she pretended that she wasn't there and then she was like you know he says at one point why did you chase after me if you were going to say no and she's like well i wanted you to know that you couldn't just have me yeah yeah uh, and you- she straight up says we're not in love why would i marry you yeah. and that must have been such a foreign thing to hear in that time yeah and, and that kind of is is you, i had a weird face coming out of that uh clip and Part of the reason because you is- were charmed by alan bates <laughs> oh, obviously he's a very charming man um it's more it, it's not that I have an issue with the film per se, but this era and this attitude, like it's very hard to watch to me. Like it just seems so ridiculous how, if this is actually representative of how things worked at this time, it just seems like such a ridiculous way to go about fostering relationships. Like that people don't get to know each other. They don't get to like hang out with each other and go places and, and become friends and, and start to understand each other and then have the ability to do No, th- this guy shows up, he barely knows her, and it's just like, yeah, let's get married. And that's just the first of that. Like, of course, later in the movie, let, let's talk about it, um, we have Mr. Boldwood, who is an older man. Peter Finch. Peter Finch. Uh, he's an older man. He's a, he's a farmer as well, and he lives on land nearby. And for reasons that that seem really silly to me or, or no reason at all uh, uh Bathsheba and her servant uh, uh have a they find a valentine in her uncle's things yeah and they they as a joke write marry me on it and send it to Mr. Boldwood now i think the reason because you mentioned you're not sure why they actually it do just, this it i seems think like the a reason real stupid thing to do well i think the reasoning just comes right before that when they talk about how boldwood has this reputation of like He's he doesn't go for anyone. He's not he's not into romance. He's not into like getting married. Nothing like that. So, so they like, just wanted to taunt him. So they just wanted to do that to, to, to be like let's to just make him uncomfortable. Like oh someone likes you. Not thinking that he was the type. Not thinking Brendan that he had the mindset of a of a, a fifth grader getting a Valentine from a girl they liked in class. And taking it to an insane extreme. Like, it, it blows my mind. Bulbwood gets this one Valentine from her, and all of a sudden, he be, very quickly becomes obsessed with the idea of marrying her. He got just a tiny bit of approval from a female, and he's just like, yes, Brendan, yes. He That's what he said. He said, Marv Albert. He was talking to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marv Albert. Um, but it, he, it's also a way of, like, they, they I, I, would, I would argue that the, the movie is aware that he is unhinged a bit. Yeah. Because we see him slowly unravel throughout the movie, of course, culminating in what he does at the end. I, I don't know if this is the intent of the book or the movie, but it almost seems like a criticism of the time, that this guy is such a, in, in, of the era, is such a sexually repressed young man, not even young man, he's in his, the, the character in the book is actually 40, although Peter Finch is clearly older 50. than 40. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like the, he's so repressed in life that he gets even the smallest taste of female attention and he's fucking fully on board that he's going to marry this woman and make her his well i mean i i want to now this is from later in the movie but just to get an idea of how desperate he starts to get i do want to play a clip of later when he's basically trying to uh get uh bathsheba to agree to eventually marry him and this is like probably uh because he has tried before this has he not yes yes this is like his like trying to get a promise out of her and she and and to you know and and I I think it's creepy that he's doing it, but also um, you know I'm not going to let Bathsheba off the hook. She just won't say no. 
She has a hard time because yeah. I think she's worried that if she says no, he will self-destruct. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not even like a vanity thing. I think you can see it in the movie. Like, no, I think- clearly, clearly. It's right. He he is re- he does look like he's ready to fly apart at the seams if that doesn't work out his way. So let's listen to this um, this scene here of when he starts to get really desperate. Uh, I think this is one of the last times he asks her, her to marry him. In six years, you'll be free to remarry, even if nothing more is heard of him. I'm willing to wait that long. More than willing. If you are willing to... Promise that in six years, if you are still alone... We will be dead. Six years. But if we are not... Mr. Bowwood, I will say this. I will never marry another man whilst you wish me to be your wife. I cannot say more. Promise me that in six years you'll be my wife. If I can give you happiness by a mere promise not to get married before six years, should my husband not return? Promise. It is a great honor to me and I cannot but... Promise. Consider. Promise. I cannot yet promise. If not yet, then when? Soon. Christmas. Christmas. So, yeah, and yes, that's very late in the movie, but I really just wanted to get that moment of him being like, promise, promise, promise. Like, he's getting... Very desperate. Yeah, and he's like that throughout a good chunk of the movie. Um, so he, so we have the principal characters. So we've got Bathsheba, and we've got uh, Gabriel Oak, played by Alan, Alan Bates. Bates. Yeah, who initially comes to see her and proposes marriage, doesn't. Uh, Oak is trying to run his own farm, but then one of his dogs is stupid and goes out and hurts all of his sheep off the edge of a cliff. I don't think the dog does it. I think the sheep push their way out of the gate. Well, it's because the dog's hurting them against the fence. And they're they're trying to go forward, and they break through the fence, and the dog runs them off the cliff. So, so this was the scene I didn't need right now. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. And then he just executes his dog because the, clearly the dog is no good to him. And then he takes his other dog, who is a good girl. So and uh, I so here's the thing. Okay, so I was scanning through this um, just to like you know make sure everything's working all right. And uh, <laughs> I got to this scene, and I was like, oh boy, I'm gonna have to watch this. And then when they cut to him walking with his dog, I was just like. Wait, what? Because I didn't know he had two dogs. Yes. So just scanning through this, I'm like, wait a second. So he killed the dog. Is the dog like a ghost? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, that, so- that scene with the sheep, by the way, I don't know if I want to know how they filmed it because this was 1967, so maybe it wasn't on the up You know what? The, well, it is possible. But there's a good chance, too, that they just bought a bunch of dead sheep and threw them off the cliff. Yeah, I just it makes me think of the lemmings in that Disney yeah, documentary. Yeah, I mean, 1967, maybe they didn't care. I don't know when the ASPA, ASPCA started getting involved in film productions, or or I guess the RSPCA in Britain. I know that if you're an animal lover, don't watch Ben-Hur. But yes, those are our principal characters. Yeah, so then, but then we also have another character that comes into the mix very soon, and that is Terrence Stamp's character, Sergeant Francis Troy. Not no, I did not know, by the way, right away that it was Terrence Stamp yeah. until the scenes where he starts interacting with our main characters. Yes. Because at first, we see that he's in a relationship with this girl, Fanny. Mm-hmm. This lovely, redhead, uh, innocent, you know, pure, young, nice lady. Uh, and, and they're set to get married. And... She goes to the wrong church by mistake. That's so funny. Like he, he, he basically, it's clear that he fucked her the night before and is like, "Hey, 
in the morning, you show up at this time, and we're going to get married. And then she's like, okay. And then she goes to the wrong church. And th- and then, so he he's waiting, and she doesn't show up, and they start to leave. She comes up to this church, and this is how he handles this situation. Yeah. Oh, Frank! Oh, Frank, thank heavens! Oh, oh, I made a terrible mistake! Can you believe it? I thought the garrison church was all saints. And then I realized, but it's all right, isn't it, Frank? I mean, it can always be tomorrow, can't it? You fool for so fooling me. Oh, Frank, I am sorry, but it can be tomorrow, can't it? Can it? You made a fool out of me. Well, when will it be, Frank? I don't know. I don't know. I said I was sorry! I guess it makes sense, Brendan, that in a world where marriage is so frivolously proposed that it could be so frivolously handled. Like you'd think a bride being in, you know, getting married would want to be involved in their wedding. And the idea that she's got so little involvement in this wedding that she doesn't even know where the church is. That does seem a bit weird to me, but it also makes sense given how frivolous marriage is. I guess it makes sense, too, that, you know, in those days, and a man, you know, often controlled everything pretty much. And, and this is a situation where she's not a person of wealth, clearly. She's mm-hmm. not coming from a, a fancy family, so, and he's a military officer, so he would have some money. Yeah, and and, and this is also though like th- at this moment here, um, this begins her decline. Yeah, we don't see her for a long time, but then when we do see her later, it's not good. She's basically in the same state that Oliver's mother is at the beginning of uh, Oliver Twist. Yeah, I thought we were gonna stop at Oliver because I was like, we haven't no, seen that one. She might yet. be, she might be the happiest mom in town in that oh, movie. Oh, I love my son Oliver, but I'm sending him to an orphanage. <laughs> He's going to work hard for his soup. <laughs> He's gonna want more. He's gonna want more. People are gonna think he's really weird because he wants more gruel. <laughs> Do we? I looked up the songbook. Yeah, I, you've been singing it all day. <laughs> it's a hard knock life. Wait. So yeah, so that's Troy, and that's a good introduction to him because he is a bastard. Well, he, that's the thing, though. He doesn't necessarily seem like a total bastard right off the gate. Obviously, he doesn't handle this situation well, but then he kind of seems okay. But as time goes on, he keeps doing things that, you know, keep uh, uh, sending him to that heel turn. Yeah, um, so we should stay right now. So in this movie, we essentially have three three potential suitors, mm-hmm. right? We have Gabriel Oak, Alan Bates. Which is interesting because she, I think in the beginning, she's like, I don't have one, I don't have two, I don't have three suitors. Yeah, oh, she's she's denying any of them. Yeah, well, uh, at the very beginning, though, she says nobody's interested in her. Oh, too, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think at the beginning, too, she doesn't quite have the farm yet, does she? No, she does, I think. I think that she's just she just got it, I think. Okay, well, maybe that's the thing. She doesn't quite have everything lined up. Because we do see the the first time she's, like, paying everybody that works on the farm, all of her tenants. I love how they, I love how, because Oak goes off. Oak is, like, his, when his sheep go off the cliff, he goes from farm owner to, like, begging in the streets. Well, he's he's down there basically being a, a migrant laborer. He's yeah. just trying to find work and just letting rich guys walk around and, and just be like, oh, what kind of work are you looking for? I want to be a bailiff. Oh, I need a shepherd. Uh, and he get and he, the, a funny little bit as he puts on shepherd garb and then he's yeah. like, "Hey, you need a shepherd?" He's like, "No, I'm looking for a bailiff." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, so this is 1967 when this came out, though. Do you think like they're talking, they're speaking to any kind of modern problems uh, with like people like you know low low uh, high unemployment? I mean, or? maybe, but the fact is, I think it was like this back then. I think that this wasn't a crazy thing that rich guys would just go and hire people out of the street if they needed them for something, and that work was you know could be. 
not available in a place like this because this is like this is very much a country movie. Like, and and, and it's funny that the, the not title a country is, movie, country. But it's funny that the the title is far from the madding crowd, as if they're like out in the country. They're far from the madding crowd of London or you know whatever big city you want to name. But still, seems to me like it's a pretty madding crowd living out in the fucking boonies with these people. Jason, can you explain to me what a madding crowd is? Well, mat- madding is just, I think it's just literally the same thing as maddening. It's just an older way of saying it. It's a similar way of saying the same thing. And that makes sense to me, too, because in America, this is actually called far from the maddening crowd. Oh, it is actually? Yeah, yeah I believe so. Um, and I think I'll, I'll have to look it up because we do have the Internet. But I believe the remake is called far from the maddening crowd. I, no, see, because I googled no. "Fire from the Madding Crowd" and it came up. I mean, maybe unless they named it differently for broadcast. Two thousand fifteen. Yeah, it's yeah. called from. Okay. Um. Well, then I stand corrected. Yeah. So I sit corrected. We don't stand. No. I hope you do that. That'd be stupid. That'd be. Well, I'd be all right with that. No, that shut up, Jason. To be stupid and you know it, and you're stupid for thinking it. Hmm. Yeah. So there's three. Uh, what I was trying to say though with um, with Gabriel, he goes out into the street and begs and stuff. Eventually, that lands him. To work for you know Bathsheba's farm, yeah, because he 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 sees like a huge fire, and he runs over to like help put it out. And I love the, <laughs> I love when he's like you know telling people like, no, you need to bring this over here, bring this over here, do this, do that. Like he's kind of uh, running the show, and yeah. Bathsheba looks over and he's like, who is that man taking control? Like she's yeah. very put off well, by but this. The thing is, is that and we learn is that the bailiff is not there. Who would be the guy that would be responsible for this? The guy that kind of would lead. He's this busy sort of thing. stealing shit. He's he's busy lifting grain out of the uh, storage to go sell for his own profit. And and another thing too, and I know we're we're kind of all over the place here, yeah, but that's fine. We're we're all drinking, we're having fun. That's right, we're having a good time, folks. <laughs> Have a drink if you uh, can handle it. Crack, pop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is! Alka seltzer. Put it right in your beer. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but yeah, the the other thing it really does a good job at establishing her character is there's a scene early on. Um, she goes to the market yes. to get like a bunch of like seeds and oats and stuff, the right? Things a farmer needs, Brendan. Right, and you think it's going to be one of those scenes where see, this is what I thought because she walks in and these guys are like, "Oh, I've got the finest stuff," yeah. and clearly it's dog shit. And he's like, "Oh, buy this, buy this." And given I, the time, it's clear that they don't give a woman much credit when it comes to farming. Right. So I expected her. No, I did expect her to like buy into it. But then to some guy to come over or like Oak or Troy or someone like that to come over and be like, oh, you're getting you're getting two timed or whatever. You're getting hosed, baby. But she does it herself. Yeah, she, she knows. knows she takes the shit and literally throws it in their faces. It's like, fuck you and your stupid shit. And I was like, fuck, yeah, Julie Christie. You give him hell, Bathsheba. She has her little meet with each each of these guys. We talked about uh, Boldwood. And uh, an oak, obviously, but maybe we should play some of that scene because she's walking through the woods and she gets tangled up with uh, Troy. Yeah, and it's it's apparently supposed to be so like like pitch black that she can't even see his face as she's walking through and catches on him, which I think would be a bit scary. Uh, if you'll just give me the lantern a moment, I'll unfasten you in no time. Please do. I'm in a hurry. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, dear me. Could be a long business. Mm. Uh, unless you want me to uh, cut the material. Uh, then cut it. You don't want me to do that. No need. If you'll just uh, 
Hang on a moment. I'll, uh... Uh, hold still. Be patient, patient. You're not doing anything. <laughs> I'm looking at a beautiful face. One of the most beautiful faces I've ever seen. Well, it's unwillingly shown. Oh. <laughs> oh. I like you the better for that incivility, oh. I must say. Look, you're making it worse on purpose. Please go and leave me here. Impossible, I'm afraid. If I go, I shall uh, drag you with me. And uh, <laughs> if I leave you here, well, I'm absolutely bound to stay and uh, keep you company. Who are you? Sergeant Troy. What are you doing here? Before I entered the service of Her Majesty, I used to live here. I always come back for haymaking. Uh, mm -hmm. There we are. Free. I only wish it had been the knot of knots. There's no untying. I think I kind of see now. Okay, we have three different guys, and obviously they're all very different, but I think I kind of see how she falls for Troy, honestly, because. He's very charming. He's very charming, and he's very much like. I feel like when Oak. Um, proposes it's very much like I'm at your mercy to see what the answer is. Um, when he's, when he's very earnest with it, he's like, "I'll provide you a good life, and I'll I'll help you out and do this and that, and we'll we'll make it work." And but he, be very pragmatic and whatever. He's, he seems very vulnerable, though. Yeah. Same with Boldwood. He yeah. seems very vulnerable, very well, he, insecure. And, and he's very much of the like, "I will take care of you like you are a porcelain doll, and you yeah. will want for nothing." But Troy comes along, and he's very much like. Oh yeah, you're beautiful. Um, so I mean, we fucking or what? Yeah, he's he's got more confidence, and he kind of treats her less like that, like that porcelain doll, or like that ideal. Like it's clear the Boldwood has this version of a wife that he wants, and so does Oak, but uh, maybe not quite as extreme. But, but I think the movie is hinting to us by showing us that wedding scene hmm. that we should not trust Troy. Yeah. Because he, he has two sides, I believe. And we see that side come out later, especially after the, the marriage happens. Because yeah. these are the two that end up... Uh, that, that is the guy she ends up going with for a while. Um, she marries um, in this great scene, which I might just drop in here. Yeah. I'm not sure yet. But we'll see. But it's a, a, the great scene where Boldwood tries to bribe Troy. Yeah, he basically he knows that Troy is interested in, in Bathsheba. And he's like, yeah, look, I'll give you 50 pounds now. And uh, then you can go off and marry Franny or whoever. Fanny, and, yeah. Go Fanny. back with the girl that you were with before. Wait, is it Fanny or is Fanny. it Franny? Are you sure it's Fanny. Fanny. Yes. Oh, okay. Because I thought it would have been funny if, they, if she was Franny, Franny and Frank, that they were both named Francis. I'm, I'm really sorry to crush your dreams like oh, this. Oh, that's a shame. But uh, yeah, you go off and marry her, whatever. And then when it's all good and I'm married to her, I'll give you 500. Yeah. And he, sa and he says, there's one small problem with that. I already married her. He says from the window, and then he tosses the fucking coin purse into his face. Yeah, not his balls. No, no, an actual little an actual coin, coin purse. purse. In the days when coin, because and that, that was one thing I noticed too is that they pay all the workers in coins. Yes. Yeah. So it was also, the day of coin. I also like that they gave all those workers, like even though they're like you know pretty pretty small supporting roles, they gave them all kind of a character. Yeah, even if they only got a couple of lines, like it was pretty like like the preacher. For instance, we see him, he preaches, and then we see him drunk at the party. Like, it's not a whole lot, but it's enough to establish who he is. Or that guy that says he was named after Cain and Abel, but his yeah. mom wasn't real uh, scripture literate, so she yeah. named him after the wrong brother. Yeah. And they're like, we call him cain so he doesn't feel so bad. <laughs> like, just little details like yeah. that were yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. And probably straight from the novel. Mm-hmm. 
Interestingly, just to speak of the novel for a sec, I read a little written bit. Written by up, Thomas Hardy. Written by Thomas Hardy. I read a little bit up on this novel, and this is a pretty faithful adaptation for the most part. Uh, there's only a few minor differences. Like I say, there's a little more up front. I'm sorry. I was really hoping you were going to say there's only a few minor differences. This one doesn't have dragons. Uh. <laughs> no, there's there's a little more up front with um, uh, Alan Bates's character Oak, and uh, I believe because I, I and correct me if I'm wrong, Brendan. Maybe I was looking down, but uh, when Frank runs into Fanny again, he's not with um, Bathsheba in the in the movie. No, no. In the well, book, no, no. What, what do you mean? Like, is he with her? Physically at the time, yeah. Oh no, he he's married to Bathsheba, yeah. but he's not with her he's not when he sees her. No, Fanny. I think in the no. book he is with her and he sees her. And, that uh, actually kind of makes more sense because later Bathsheba says, "Like, who was that girl you were with?" Mm. And we didn't see her see them, so that I thought I was confused by that. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering, like, did she just have sources in the town? I mean, uh, clearly gossip travels quickly, so you know she has her own TMZ. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The, the, the three mile, literally a three mile zone around this town. <laughs> three, hey, there you go. Is that what TMZ stands for? TMZ stands for thirty mile zone. Oh, okay. I had no around idea. L- yeah, no, around LA. That's See, what it Jason, refers to. Your brain, I tell you, <laughs> I tell you, I'll tell you, folks. Is a real law. Uh, is a. Is a real Ed. Is a real Edward Carpentier. Doing the drop kick before it was cool, babe. He's making some deep wrestling references, people. Now's the time to tune out. Just shut the podcast off. It's a real home. gorgeous George here with his flaunting and dancing, babe. I'm going to reek a doze on you if you don't move on. I'm going to drop you on your head like Hashimoto, babe. I'm going to give you a backdrop. I don't even think that's the correct reference, I'm gonna okay? I'm going to give you a backdrop and take you out like Mitsuharu Misawa, That's babe. the one I meant, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Frank sucks. Yeah, Frank because, sucks. Because he's very charming and everything up front, and he does that whole sword thing with her. Where he okay. Takes her out on the beach. Yes, we need to talk about that sword uh, sword scene, because I heard I heard going into this, one of the things that, uh, that was said was there is a ver- there is a sword, like, a duel it was written as, which it's not, it's not no. a duel. It's like an exhibition. Yeah. But it was written as, like, it, it said, like, it was a very erotic scene. It was very phallic, um, but also um, makes you think that he might be a serial killer. Well, it just seems like he's very he's very good with a sword, but it also I, I think it's his maybe a foreshadowing of his kind of abusiveness or a reinforcing of it because he's doing this to her and he tells her up front, Oh no, don't worry about this, this is a dull blade. Oh yeah, no, this 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 is not even a blade. And then at the end he says, Oh, this will cut through you like a razor. It's like and she's like, Wait, you told me it was dull and he's like, No, this thing's really sharp. Keep it real sharp because he cuts off a lock of her hair. He says, it. You almost died two hundred and ninety six times or something like that. Yeah. So the fact that he's willing to risk Psycho. this lady in his little demonstration, I mean it's it's a both a I guess a testament to his own confidence in his abilities, but also that maybe he's a little off. A little, a little, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But but clearly that turns her on because she's down. Well, that's the thing. This guy is dangerous. He's yeah. a bad boy, yeah. right? This would be the movie where like the nice guy wants to. I mean, and I mean that's really the thing is you look at Bullwood and Oak. They're both kind of nice guys in the sense that that they're like they're not threatening. They're not dangerous. But they're they're, just, but but they're that nice guy yeah. that now when you say nice guy you're like Ugh, I don't want to be a nice guy. You know well, I, mean? I would say Bullwood is kind of in that category. Oak I think is more of a genuinely nice guy. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just he just wants a wife like and, and so as many soon, men and, back then <laughs> and it, well and as soon as she says no he backs off he doesn't he come doesn't at her develop 80. a long obsession i mean there might be i'm sure that there's still a part of him that really is interested clearly mm-hmm. by the end of the movie but he doesn't sit there and make it his life's mission to fucking like have her 
Right, exactly. And and actually, now that we're on that, I want to play a clip of uh, when she she's seen talking to Boldwood and she's worried about what all the workers will think of this. Mm. She's, she's like asking Oak, like, what are they saying? And he is very forward. By the way, this is sort of him being friend zoned in the course of the movie. If you want to use that term, like, because he basically becomes a confidant to her. Yeah, exactly. Well, what did they say? That father Boldwood's name and your own were likely to be flung over pulpit together before the year was out. Oh, that's absolute nonsense. There's not a word of truth in it. And I want you to tell them so, Gabriel. Well, now, Bathsheba. Miss Everdeen, you mean? I mean this, Miss Everdeen, I mean this. If Mr. Boldwood really spoke to you of marriage, I am not going to put it about that he didn't, just to please you. I already tried to please you too much for my own good. I only want you to tell them that I'm not going to marry him. Not that there'd be any shame in it if I were. However, I'm not, and I'd be glad if you tell them so. I can say that to them if you wish, Miss Everdeen. Likewise, I could give an opinion to you on what you've done. I dare say you can, but I don't want your opinion. Well, what is your opinion? That it's unworthy. I'm sorry if that sounds like a reprimand. Oh, no, not at all. As far as I'm concerned, a reprimand from you is the same as a compliment from anyone of real judgment. And where in particular lies my unworthiness? In not marrying you, perhaps? I long ceased thinking about that. Or wishing it, I suppose. Or wishing it either. My opinion is that you are greatly to blame for playing pranks on a man like Mr. Boldwood. Leading a man on you don't care for, just for the fun of it, just to satisfy your own vanity. How dare you criticise my personal conduct? Well, you invited it. I will not allow any man in my employ to criticise me. I won't have you on this farm a moment longer. Very well, in that case, I should be very glad to go. Go, then, in heaven's name. Very good, Miss Everdeen. She's a bit defensive, but I get it. No, she is the boss. There's a reasonable expectation that you don't need people, uh, uh, you know, giving you shit about your personal life. But she did ask him. They both make good points. Yeah. I think, ultimately. And I think in a in another director's hands, I mean, we'll, I'll just say, John Schlesinger, openly gay director. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he has like a sort of sensibility that some other directors might not have mm. and some other male directors might not have, you know? Because I think in another movie, Julie Christie would be pointed out as the like person that's just leading everyone on. Yeah. And I think he adds another dimension to that. Well, so I mean, it's it not is, that. It's clear that like, she wasn't doing it cruelly when, no. when they sent her that Valentine. It was more just like ignorant fun and, and based on this reputation. Based that, on his that, reputation yeah. of like that, he would just immediately disregard it. Yeah, they would just laugh about the idea of it and then never hear about it again. Right. But yeah, so he's very open at telling telling her his opinion about this whole thing. Obviously, he's got a little bit of interest in the game because, you know, he says he's stopped thinking about it, but it's clear he hasn't. Right. So he's definitely promoting his own interest, but also I think he does care about her, and and he honestly doesn't think that Boldwood is really the guy for her. <laughs> he doesn't think Boldwood. Well, he th- in that scene he says you shouldn't lead him on. Basically, yeah. you should just like if you want to get with Boldwood, get with do Boldwood. It. Yeah, just do it. Shit, get off the pot, baby. And basically, like if you if you realize you made a mistake, 
squash it now. Yeah. Because don't. if you do it later, it's going to be horrendous. Yeah, it's already getting to a point that's like unsustainable. Like he's clearly ready to just blow at any moment. Like he's he's like a teenage boy. It's like even a stiff breeze blows the wrong way and all of a sudden the wall's a mess. <laughs> um, We mentioned at the top of the show or near the top of the show that Nicholas Rogue was doing the cinematography in mm. this movie. And this movie is gorgeous. This movie is gorgeous. I, I might say this is my favorite thing about the movie is, again, like I've talked about other movies, especially ones that even the Julie Christie has been in, like, like uh, The Go-Between, like some very beautiful Also Alan Bates. Yes, some very beautiful photography in this movie. Um, you really get a nice sense of the English countryside. It looks legit. And doesn't it have like, I feel like knowing now that Nicholas Rogue did the cinematography, it does have a bit of a quirk to it, right? Mm. There's a few, there's a few things, not as much as like performance and don't look now it's, for it's sure. It's colorful, but it's also just a little bit washed out. Like it's kind of got that yeah. well, kind of seventies almost washed out look to it. It, it definitely looks like a counterculture movie made about a very, um, you know, um, quiet, Time. Yeah, where, where another director might have gone with some very strong colors in this one. This one is very, it's, it's very earthy, very browns, very greens, the green grass, the like yellow grass in fall kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's, it's very, very natural looking. Like I feel like someone else might have gone more the go-between route yeah. than this. A little more, a little more like straightforward. Not straightforward, but like conventional, this conventional view, this almost like dreamlike view of Victorian England or, you know, of that era. And, and this is not that. It's a little more gritty, right. but also still very beautiful. So Troy and ba- Bathsheba, they have their marriage for a while. They're together. Um, he's pretty controlling. Um, yeah, right into the gate, it's clear like this is a weird Send marriage. your women to bed to get your beds warm for the men because we're going to drink. And then when we get home, we better get fucked. Yeah, because they, they have this big barn party and then he sends all the women away and all the guys just get fucked. Just get fucking drunk. And of course, there's a storm going on and that's this is near the end of the first part of the movie where Bathsheba runs out with Oak to help like cover up the hay. But everybody's drunk. Like all, all the men are drunk. And so when the morning rolls around and we come back um, and they all stumble out hungover and, and fucked up, um, most of the hay is destroyed, except for the ones that Oak and Bathsheba got to. In a very harrowing scene. Yeah, no, absolutely. Being in the middle of a very strong storm and trying to like get these big tarps over top of the hay, yeah, that's crazy. I wouldn't want to have to do that. Yeah. Um, so over the years, or I don't know if it's over the years, but it's over the months. I think she's only married to him for about eight months. Yeah. Um, but over the months, you know, he, he asks her for money. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a gambler. He's a gambler on cockfights. On cockfights, of all things. I was shocked to see that. <laughs> I was like, what was interesting to me about that scene, too, is that while the cockfight was going on, the crowd that was watching it was completely silent. Well, yeah, you got to respect the cock. You got to respect the cockfight. But, like, it just it felt, so, it felt so much creepier than having a bunch of guys cheering on because mm. then it would feel like a wrestling match. But no, it's just like they're all staring at these roosters as they tear themselves apart for money. Which was hard to watch. I, yeah. I, I was a little, again, another scene where I was like, uh, yeah. how did they fake this? Yeah, you wonder. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he loses a bunch of money on cockfights. He 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 even asks for um, when he runs into Fanny again, and he sees her as yeah. we said earlier in really rough shape. She's like she's like hiding in the barn or something. Yeah, and he asks uh, Bathsheba for money, and basically says like, "Okay, shut up, give me the money." Well, he even he tells her it's for gambling. <laughs> Initially, that's his cover yeah. story. He's like, "No, I just need some money to put it on the fight," and then he's like, "Yeah, you're gonna give me that money." And is yeah exactly very domineering and controlling. Even though she really is the one that wears the pants in this relationship financially. 
And then Jason <laughs> might be, it, I don't think might be, this is the most disturbing mo- moment of the movie for, for I think anyone is Fanny is clearly in rough shape. We yeah. see the, reveal, reveal that she's pregnant. Yes. Um, she stumbles into the workhouse, I believe. I think she stumbles into maybe a mortuary even just based okay. on the severe looking people that are running it. Not to say that, you know, you have to be severe to run a mortuary, but the fact that they send her out and they're all wearing top hats. I don't know. It might be a workhouse or something like Oliver. Well, he did tell her to go to a workhouse for the night until yeah. he got her some money. Yeah. So I, I just assumed that's where she went. But either way, she goes there. Um, they take her in and then all of a sudden we see a coffin being made and it says, you know, Fanny, uh, Fanny whatever, Robin. Fanny Robin and son and child and child. Yeah. And so what, what I think is really interesting too, is when that coffin is being transported, um, Oak, Oak rubs off and child. Yeah. And it's almost like I. What, is, is, is he trying to save now? Her reputation. Question, that's it, what well, I'm. My question. It. Is he trying to save face for um, for Frank, you know, to prevent that from marring their marriage, or is he trying to like also maybe spare the women from the the horror of seeing this poor young lady died, and then she also had a child. I think also sparing um, Bathsheba a little yeah. bit because and not wanting her to know that this person had a baby, and then eventually figure out that it was Frank's baby. Right, and. Shock of all shocks, Jason, because Bathsheba is super curious about what's under that wooden lid. She pries it open, and we see the dead baby. Yeah, the dead baby. Is that only the second dead baby we've seen so far? Second dead, second dead baby that we've seen, yes. yes. Because in, the in, other in the dead baby was an implied dead baby in Alfie. Right, yes, of course. Um, yeah, so yeah, the, she's in the casket, and she must know who she is or something. That was a dead baby. Maybe I should respect women. <laughs> That was the lesson I took from Alfred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Respect women. Because, <laughs> you know, you never know when you're going to be looking at a dead baby. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this show this show has gone downhill. That's the thing. We're not a, we're, you know, we have our fans, but we're not, you know, we're not at the top of the podcast. Chance. We are. Nobody's going to cancel us. We are. Oh, we are? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Screw you, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Fuck you. And, and absolutely fuck you, Adam Carolla. <laughs> oh, yeah, no question. <laughs> And anybody else who was ever on the Man Show, actually, that's not true. No, uh, Doug Stanhope, I like you. You're all right. You still. don't like Jimmy Kimmel? He's okay. There, there and then, and then we get this heartbreaking scene where uh, Bathsheba uh, Troy walks in and he sees the baby, and you know Fanny, and we get this exchange between Troy and Bathsheba. Don't, don't! I love you better than she did. Kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. You will kiss me. I'm your wife. In the sight of heaven, you are my very wife, my darling fan. I'm your wife. I'm not morally yours. This woman is more to me dead as she is, than you ever were, or are, or could be. Fuck! (laughs) Right? What a brutal fucking thing to say to your wife, your technical legal wife. Yeah. Jesus Christ, this (laughs) fucking guy. And then, so, yeah, and and, uh, Frank is definitely a self-centered guy. um, Well, it's weird, though, because I, I have questions about that. 
right? Because you say he's a self-centered guy, and I kind of get that idea too. But like, did he have some? Did he actually have a connection to Fanny? Like, is he actually upset? I mean, maybe he is, but like, I, I don't think it's about Fanny. I think it's about him being upset and having a kid because like when not he, having a kid now and not having a kid now, having a dead kid. So he he gives them a grave, like he erects a grave for Fanny, but tellingly on the grave it says erected by Francis M. Troy. <laughs> oh, that is a good detail. That you need to put your fucking name on the grave to let everybody know that you bought the fucking grave for this lady. Well, well, you know what? Karma's a bitch later. Yeah, because he does end up in it, which I, I thought was funny, too, because it, it says the aforementioned <laughs> Francis M. Troy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's some there's some dark humor bits in this movie. Um, but yeah, and essentially when this happens, uh, he leaves. Yeah. And he goes into the ocean. He starts swimming <laughs> in the ocean. And I saw him at the beach, and I'm like, is he just going to walk into the sea and kill himself? Like, I, no. Well, I thought that's what happened. We assumed that's what happened for the first, yeah. for about five minutes. I well, bought but, into but it. But other people say he like he was lost when he drowned or whatever. But no, yeah, he went out to swim and then disappeared. But I bought into it. Like the movie telling me that, I was like, yeah, sure, he's dead, yeah. cool. And then we get like the greatest fucking reveal because he's performing as part of like a circus, and it's he like, literally ran off and joined the circus, folks. Listen, this is the greatest circus I've ever seen. It was a pretty cool circus. I I loved this like 10 he, minute circus scene. He was playing like a highwayman who was like robbing these clowns and And they didn't go with the obvious thing here where where Bathsheba she's at the circus yeah. and he sees her and says, "Oh shit, I can't perform." And the boss is like, "Well, you better perform if you want your two pennies or whatever he yeah. says." Well, he he tells him he's like, "Oh, I got a guy that owes me money." He's like, "I just put on a thicker fake mustache and Mark your face up. It never be stopped fine. you before. Yeah, exactly. But a debt collector's never stopped you before is what he says. Yeah. But the thing is, they didn't go the obvious route, which is where Bathsheba recognizes him at the circus. Yeah. They go through the whole thing. He has close I, calls. She does have, there's a moment where it's clear she's having a twinge where he's doing the sword work. Like he's he's yeah. using his sword and she, I think, is is remembering that at that point and kind of wonders. But isn't clearly like, you know, and she wasn't just like, oh, my God, that's Troy. Um, another one I really wanted to point out, though, um, is there's such a unique choice in this movie where she at some point she is just like, I can't stay with like, I, I can't have him come back because I'm madly in love with him. This is before they get married. So I'm going to go find him. I'm going to break it off with him. And we see her approach him, yeah. but we don't hear any of the conversation. No, we just see them the wa- talking. And we hear the waves crashing. Yeah. The only thing I could make out from the tiny little bit of lip reading I can occasionally do was that she goes, promise me, promise me, promise me, promise me. And he's like, I promise you. And then she's happy. And you can even, even if you don't read the lips and just look at the body language, you could tell she went there with the intention to, leave, to, to finish it. Yeah. And that's not what happened. No. She couldn't. She succumbed. Succumbed to his charms. Ultimately, the movie ends with her uh, finally being like, "Okay, Boldwood, fuck it, let's do this." Peter Finch, like, "Let's, let's, we're gonna get married uh, one day. I don't know when." Then, six years from now. Six years from now, she agrees to that if her husband doesn't return. And, and, and not dead. not six years from that moment. Six years from Christmas. Right. But then <laughs> Troy shows up. Well, here's the thing, though. So so Christmas approaches, and Boldwood uh, anticipating this and wanting this has a big fucking party and invites everybody including all the tenants on the farm and shit yep and he's like he makes a big to-do about it because he's the night tonight she's gonna accept his proposal to be married in six years well he's a network anchor i mean oh that's wait, right wait, he's got a big life a, ahead of him oh wait, that's a different movie <laughs> he's not there yet he's still he's he's still a corporate news anchor but he'll he'll break later okay okay <laughs> 
But yeah, and then Troy shows up to this party. You know, yeah, it just arrives out of nowhere. No. So this is weird to me too. Okay, I'm trying to get a get a, a grip of his motivation here because he somehow he's connected to the idea that he's he's emotional about the idea of Fanny passing away. But you said maybe it has something to do with the fact that she had a son. Now he doesn't have an heir or whatever or a son. Um, but then and he wants to stay away from Bathsheba. Yeah. But then he's like, I want her again. Yeah. So I don't really... I think it is a product of the attitudes of the time because even for men, there was this idea that if you weren't married, you know, you really weren't legit to some extent. Um, now, obviously, with men it, back then, it was easier for them to make a go of it without getting married. You could have a life and, and be a closet homosexual if you wanted to be, especially if you were rich. But um, no, I mean, I, I think, I honestly believe that he's just like, well... She's my wife, and I've got no better options, so I better go back and get her and get back to living. Okay. And so that's why he walks in all dressed up and then is like, come with me now, woman. And and, and, and Boldwood fucking shoots him in the yeah. chest. Yeah, and, and on one hand, you're like, I don't blame him because, you know, Troy's a piece of shit. Uh, we've learned by this point, clearly, because he's trying to, like, haul her off from this party. Boldwood, in his, like, incel-like way, uh, uh, decides that if he can't have her, no one can. Oh, wait, no, that's not true. That would be true if he, like, shot her. That'd well, be a you... very different movie if he's fucking murdered Bastiaba. That would be crazy. <laughs> Did you think that uh, he would have done the same if Oak had walked in? Well, no. Because I think it's Troy. I think yeah, it's the think, vendetta well, no, against Troy. because he's a shitbag. He almost kills him earlier in the movie. When they make, when they, he tries to make that deal with him, he chokes him out. Yeah. And Troy has to be like, oh, what will Bathsheba think if you kill me? Well, and he's and so also, I don't. I believe Troy let him do that. Troy is a soldier in the British Army. I'm sure he can handle himself against this old tenant farmer. Well, but I think that's why he, uh, that's why Boldwood stopped choking him, though, yeah. is because Troy was like, oh, but don't you want Bathsheba to be happy? And he's almost more concerned with that than yeah. anything else that he's kind of a tragic character yeah no he is for sure I yeah mean, in, in the sense that he's gotten kind of into this thing and then developed such a fucking obsession about it and after he shoots troy and kills him and this time troy's dead for realsies yeah. um the last shot of boldwood is he's waiting for his execution yep it's, it's hanging out in the workhouse where they're building the casket it's fucking dark <laughs> i want to i want to play this last part because this is the part where oak so before this, Oak is like, listen, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to maybe go to California. Uh, I'm done with England. <laughs> this is this is bullshit. I'm out E5000. And, uh, and Bathsheba, you know, is very sad. But then he comes back and they have this uh, brief conversation to end the film. Oh, Gabriel. You're not really going, are you? Well, I will stay on one condition. One condition only. Well. This one. That whenever I look up, there you will be. And whenever you look up, there shall I be. So he ultimatums her, basically. He's like, tell you what, I'll stay, but you got to marry me. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's it's a nice tie-in to the first time he asked her, right? Because he says, whenever you look up there, yes. I'll be, and that's a repeat Structurally, of- I see the point of this. Yeah. Like, again, my problem is more with the attitudes of the era that, or, or the idea that like marriage is so important that by the end of this movie, she is ultimately married to someone, regardless of whether it's good or not. But at the same time, she is such an independent character for most of this movie that you almost 
you expect that if she didn't want to, she would have just said, no, we get out of hope. here. We would hope. But also, she's proven in the past that she has a hard time saying no. Kind of, but she said no to him before. But this time, also, he's a lot more confident, yeah. right? I feel like the thing with, with her falling for Troy was his confidence. Mm. Uh, Boldwood was not a confident guy. Oak was not a confident guy earlier on in the movie, even though he said, yeah, you know, these are all the things I want to do. But ultimately, he was still very vulnerable. Mm. I think him coming back and being like, listen, this is what's going to happen or I'm going to go. Is her, and you know, her being like, that's hot shit. Let's get married. Yeah, And so they do. And then they, I guess, all live happily ever after three hours later. I was uh, shocked that this had a happy ending yeah, yeah it's no, sort of <laughs> not for everyone <laughs> well it went some dark places so i see why you thought maybe they would go the extra hard route and alfie it up what's it all about bashaba <laughs> um I want oh, one other thing I want to talk about before we get into the bits and bobs uh there is a, something that came up as like a theme so there's a lot of like earth earthy colors like browns and mm. greens and everything right yes Troy shows up in full red, like uniform and everything, yes. and it's does very stand out. startling. Yeah, and if you notice, once Troy kind of invades the movie, yeah. Bathsheba's stuff starts getting red. Like she has like big giant red curtains. She has like she's so stitching like something red. It's almost. It, it, I just thought it was an interesting like visual. And, and cue. even by the time that she marries um, uh, Oak, she's wearing a red dress. Yeah, so it's almost like that's never going to leave her. Yeah, that that's a part of her now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also want to mention that the um, the there's this there's a scene in this movie where the the sheep are in great distress. There's a lot of sheep in this movie, but they're they're all kind of like laying on the ground and in pain. And uh, you know, um, Jason, we watched a movie called The Go Between, yeah. and in this movie, they have a go between for about five minutes. That's true. They do. the <laughs> The guy with the stutter is the dude they send out to go between and send the message that they he they need help with the sheep. Clearly, they ate something that fucked with their stomach because they bring out Oak, and he basically stabs these sheep in the stomach and releases the pressure that's building up. So the, apparently the problem that these sheep are suffering from is something called pasture bloat. Okay. And this is, um, this is when, uh, when they, when they kind of get into like vegetables like alfalfa or clover. Yeah. And they get too much of that into their system. It causes excessive gas production, uh, uh, which basically makes their stomachs like inflate and compresses their lungs so they can't breathe. Uh, so that's why they're all on the ground, like panting and, and going on. Yeah. Right. So he uses this, something called a trocar. Yeah. And he stab, and you know, you, you, you puncture their stomach essentially to let out some of the gas. Apparently, though, a lot messier than what we saw here. I we imagine, saw, yeah. <laughs> we saw a little bit of green stuff come out. Yeah, that's like, probably like you'd actually get like stomach uh, uh, contents, I imagine, coming out through that hole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, uh, one more thing I wanted to mention before we move on. The original actor that was going to play Boldwood, hmm. Dirk Bogard. Oh. Which would have been funny with Darling. So you would have had Darling... Dirk Bogard and the go-between, yeah. <laughs> Alan Bates. Was he not available or was he dead? Dirk, Dirk Bogard? Yeah. I think he just didn't do okay. it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think we should probably take a break. Sure. And uh, come back with some bits and bobs. Age of Radio. And we're back with some bits and bobs. Some bits and some bobs. Dead around. 
Looking at your dreams, never ending story. You always get to sing song. Can I sing a song? Yes, go ahead. All around the world, pretty baby. That's all I know. Excuse me, Jason. I believe I let you open the show every week. You will let me have my sing song. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, all the leaves are brown, the leaves are brown, and, and the, the bits are, are bobs, and the bits are bobs. Uh, so right out of the gate, we got a little bit of Star Wars sounding music. There's kind of some flutes there. Sounds a bit of Star Warsy. Overture. They have an Light overture. the lights. This is it. So hit the lights. heights. There's no, no use talking. Oh, with the, the show. show. This is it. The Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show. Okay, go oh, ahead. I love that. God, I love it's time to play the music. It's time to dress up right. It's time to meet the Muppets on the Muppet Show tonight. All right, enough songs. Waka waka. So the overture. Light the lights. God damn it, sorry. It was quaint. It was quaint. It was nice to see an overture. I like that they didn't have enough money to spring for a fucking looping piece of film. They just had a still. Maybe that was an artistic decision. If it was, fuck you. Get a piece of film. Pastoral, you son of a bitch. It was very pastoral. But I want to see, like, the grass blowing. I don't want to see a still. I mean, that's so that's so 1902. And Raven. And very Raven. It's the most Raven thing I've seen recently. I'll tell you that much. Uh, so- Nicholas, <laughs> Nicholas Rogue. I see his name in the credits. I'm like, I know that name. I look it up. Fucking... Director, don't look now. <laughs> don't look now. It's fucking yeah, performance. Yeah. Oak, I think, brings her a lamb, doesn't he? Does he bring her a lamb? Somebody brings her a lamb. A sheep? A sheep? Oh, at the beginning, yeah. yeah. He brings her one because he's like, I thought you might want to look after this little one. Also, where is she? I want to marry her. Yeah. Yeah. So she's talking about, like, he asks if she has any suitors, and she, she says the line, I haven't any at all. I haven't any one at all. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm so very glad to hear that. <laughs> and it made me cringe a little bit. But it's Alan Bates. He's charming. Yeah, he's charming. But like that doesn't mean that she shouldn't have anybody to love. Oh, we have the. Um, I don't know if this is a Nicholas Rogue thing, but I'm putting that conspiracy out, theory out here because um, we have another example of the overhearing important plot convo trope. Um, because when when Oak is in the bo- uh, the back of the the carriage and those two guys up front are talking about like, oh yeah, this girl who owns the farm stares at herself in the mirror because she's so vain. And they're talking about, you know, Bathsheba and he's overhearing it and getting all this information. Just reminding me of the scene in performance when James Fox, James Fox. Yes. James Fox. It's not Edward Fox. No. <laughs> when James Fox is sitting in the bar hearing that guy talk, talking about staying at Mick Jagger's place. Yes. Just, just thought it was funny. Um, also, I think those two guys are the guys we rent the the room from for Brit picks. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think they may be those maybe those two guys. Oh, it's us, that's right. <laughs> Although the the accents in this movie, I love the accents in this movie. They're this is a type of English accent. I'm not sure exactly what it is. My my heart wants to say West Midlands, but folks, I understand. I don't know shit. So if you're English and you know what that accent specifically is called, I know it's in the area that uh, Thomas Hardy calls Wessex, mm-hmm. which is. An ancient kingdom in England, but it's a particular area that is not known as Wessex now, but in his books it is known as Wessex. Uh, the only way, though, Brendan, I don't know if you know this, the only way, and this is for the British uh, listeners, is Essex. The only way. Have a little laugh. Have a little laugh about my reference to your pop culture, you crazy people. Uh, I like how uh, when we talked about how Boldwood was thought of as this guy who didn't, who, you know, doesn't really get with anyone. He's not romantic or anything. And the line is, no woman could touch him. They say he has no passionate parts. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's a good line. I thought that was funny. Folks, can I just point out something right now? I just, let's just be real for a moment. Let's just drop all this bullshit right now, this whole facade that we're putting on. I just got to say, Brendan, you have fantastic handwriting. Thank you. Because I have terrible handwriting. I come from a long line of people with terrible handwriting. My father has terrible handwriting. His father before him had terrible handwriting. Uh, we just have terrible handwriting. But it's nice to see a guy, a gentleman, a gentleman, I will say, that has nice handwriting. So props to you, folks. Send in your uh, comments to Brendan. Uh, about how great his handwriting is. Perhaps we'll post a picture uh, on Instagram sometime of him writing you a little note. Yeah, don't use my... Uh, Do we have an Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> we don't. But now we have to. I suppose we should get Now one. you got to run it, Jason. Uh, I, got, I already got the TikTok. I put up a new TikTok. Oh, no, you do the TikTok. I only edit the whole podcast. <laughs> Brendan, I don't want to do any work. I want to let you be my working guy. Servant, I think it's called. No, we're talking about Far From the oh, Madden Crowd. Oh, Far From the Madden Crowd. Yeah, Servant, great movie, though, folks. Check it out. I know we already said that. Did we say that in this episode, or was that a different episode? <laughs> <laughs> I like the insanity of this. They need to know that our timeline is muddled. <laughs> there's a Gone with the Wind sheep shot. How there's do you a, mean? There's this, <laughs> when all the sheep are on the ground, there's like a, there's like a to, shot. Try to brace yourself. I have not seen Gone with the Wind. What? <laughs> I only saw it like a year ago. Okay. But there's a shot where they all the sheep are on the ground like suffering and they yeah. pan back to show them all. It's like that, you know, I swear I'll never go hungry again. That kind of scene. As God is my witness. See, yeah. I haven't even seen the movie. But, but know you know that. what I'm talking about. All the kids, are, all the soldiers are on the ground like in pain. Frankly, Brendan, I don't give a damn. <sighs> you have seen it. Don't lie. <laughs> only in passing. Literally, it's one of those movies I only know about from context clues. Mm. Well, you, you, you just, you've always, you've always told me it's weird though, because you've always told me that that movie is, um, one of the best representations in terms of, uh, racial divide. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, it's accurate. That's how things were. It was all cool. Everything's cool. Boy, I like. Don't, don't read history books or pay attention to you know actual truth. Just listen to me. Just watch movies. Fine. Watch Birth of a Nation Gone with Birth the Wind. You'll get the idea. Birth of a Nation Gone with the Wind. Um, Birth of a Nation Two. Electric Boogaloo. The sequel to Birth of a Nation for sure, if you can find it. I Maybe a lost film. I don't know. Another dialogue exchange I really like, and we heard it earlier, was when um, Oak says Bathsheba, and she says, Miss Everdeen, you mean. Very quickly being like, no, now this wait, is a wait, business wait, wait, relationship. Wait, 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 So Bathsheba's last name is Everdeen? Yeah. Do you think, Brendan, and, and stay with me on this one. I need you to look at me. <laughs> Do you think that Bathsheba Everdeen is an ancestor of Katniss Everdeen. Yes. Oh, good. Cool. This is sort of a Hunger Games of love. Hunger Games of love. Uh, Hunger Games of love. 525,600 corpses. 525,000 victims of Hunger Games. We should just do uh, movie parody songs. Or, or or we could be a Hunger Games-themed band that would be playing in the Capitol for the rich people, singing songs about the poor people in said Hunger Games. Somebody get me Wolfgang Peterson on the phone. I'll go one further and say somebody. Call my mama? Stop me. Ow! <laughs> I, okay, so here's something I got to mention. Did you notice that, I don't know if it's, it's prevalent in this region of England, if this is like a, a, a thing about this, but like both um, Oak and uh, uh, Boldwood, which by the way, folks, we haven't talked about that name yet. To have the name Boldwood, like you, you have a lot to live up to. Like you have to be very virile. 
your wood needs to be bold. I mean, we can't say it any other way. I mean, you, you've nailed it. But to go back to my original point, which is rare that I can pull back to this. Um, pull it back, baby. Boldwood with his with his boldwood. And, uh, That's a oh, dick. Both have like auburn hair. And of course, Boldwood's a little older, so he's got gray. But like they have this very specific color of auburn hair that I feel like their their hair must have been dyed. And I'm wondering, and again, British folks, if you're listening, please form me. Is this a stereotype of these sorts of people that they have auburn hair? Well, you're looking at me, and I'm also deferring to the people. Yeah, because, again, I could look it up, but I'd rather let people tell me. <laughs> why Why do my own research when I have, you know, uh, uh, ones of people that are willing to do it for me? I, I also do, like, um, Bathsheba when she runs into Troy. And one of the first things she says, because he says, you know, I fell in love at first sight. And she's like, that's not a thing. She's basically like, no, you didn't. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. I would think yeah. that anybody that falls in love at first sight is just thinks really the, horny. I think, yeah, I think you just think that person's attractive. And I'm yeah. sorry. I and know that's fine. Yeah. That's cool because that's fun. Hey, and if you're still in love and you're married today, 25, 35, 45 awesome. years, great. Awesome that you had that initial physical, like, like just attraction, and then that was then followed by a long and rewarding relationship. I respect that when it can happen. Another moment I really like in this movie in terms of just Julie Christie's acting is when she's talking to Liddy. We haven't talked about Liddy a lot, but she's basically like her, her you know, the her person she goes to. Her handmaid, but her confidant in yeah. a way. But she talks to her and she's like emotional. She's crying because she says like, I know I loved this guy, Troy, yeah. but I know he's not good. And she's kind of in denial because she's hearing all these stories about how he's a user. And she she's asking Liddy, like, tell me they're not true. And she's like, well, I don't know what to do. If I tell you they're not true, you're going to think I'm just saying what you want me to say. Yeah. And if I tell you they are true, you're going to be mad at me. And I feel like that this is a very widespread experience among women that have been in shitty relationships. And I'm not going to claim that I have any knowledge of this, but based on the little bit I know, this seems like this is something that happens all the time, that people are stuck in relationships with people that are toxic and they don't, they don't know what to do about it because they do have love for them. That love is legit and real. But at the same time, you have to deal with the other side of it too. And that's fucked. I'm, I'm so glad that my wife is wonderful uh, uh, and I love her very much and that we both get along because I can't imagine having to deal with that. And I have nothing but sympathy for people to do. Yeah. Uh, and it's nice to see movies like this that do bring that to the forefront. Like this is obviously an old story and I have my issues with how society was back then. But but this is a legit thing that is comes through, you know. Old timey cinema. Yeah. There's an old timey uh, 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 film film show going on in town. He's like flipping through the pictures. Yeah, he's doing like a slideshow, basically. Yeah, yeah. it's like Doctor Mashuli with his uh, with his uh, overheads. That's a very that's a reference only for me. So, the intermission is an hour and forty six <laughs> minutes in. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of time, isn't it? But oh. but not as long as Lawrence Arabia. I'm pretty sure it's over two hours before they get the first intermission in that one. This is true. It's also not at the halfway mark, which is good because you got to put it at the mark where it feels right. No, that's okay. You get exactly the, the but but especially you want to have it after the halfway point so that you know mm. the downslide is shorter. Because if if you do the intermission thirty minutes in, you look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> thirty <laughs> minutes into a two hour and fifty minute movie. Bold, oh, Boldwood is very um, forward, but with telling Oak at one point. Listen, I wasn't jilted because she never actually promised anything to me. Yeah. So she's with Troy, but I I was never promised to her. So he's very defensive about like I wasn't I wasn't turned down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, that status idea. He doesn't want to be seen well, as a as a as a 
a wimp. Insecurity too. That too. Absolutely. I don't think Oak has that insecurity that the other two have. No, because because Oak is a, a salt of the earth. He's a he's a guy that has been humbled. Like at the beginning of the movie, we see he's on the verge of like starting his own farm, and that is quickly squashed. And he is on the street busking at a certain point. He's literally playing his flute for money. Yeah. Um. Again. So Fanny, he knows. He Fa- knows, baby. Fanny, such a tragic fucking story for her. Um, Wonderful actress, by the way. Yeah, she's, she's very Prunella, attractive. Prunella um, Ransom. Yeah. Also dead. <laughs> As is almost everyone. A few people are still... Well, Terrence Stamp is still going Julie strong. Christie Julie and Terrence Christie Stamp still, still around. Yeah. <laughs> My last bit in Bob is just about uh, Bathsheba's... Uh, Manic breakdown uh, towards the end of the film when 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 well deserved well when Troy gets shot yeah when she's like there's blood like it, this movie has some surprisingly violent bits I mean um, it does look like red paint but yes but I mean it's it, the fact that we get some, anything yeah. there is yeah. is shocking and she puts her like face in his chest and she gets it like all over her yeah. face and everything like it's it's brutal I mean it makes sense given that he made out with a corpse earlier so. Any more? What we got? Any more bits and bobs? Uh, you got a little ahead of me there. Let's see. Uh, that bailiff. I like that bailiff, man. He was such a great little character actor. Little. I don't want to demean you. I don't want to demean the guy. He was a great character actor. He was missing front teeth, and he was like, "Oh, I'm a bailiff. Oh, it'd be a shame if the madam was to learn that you were here." Like he tries to blackmail Troy at when the he circus sh- when he sees him at the circus. He sees yeah. him at the circus and knows that uh, uh, Bastaba is there, so he's willing to go. And he's just such a great like. I love a person like him in a movie that looks like just it just embodies the sort of person you would see in this story. Like he looks like a person that I would imagine to exist in the 19th century. Kind of reminds me of how I really enjoyed the lawyer character in last week's movie, Brighton Rock. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very character actor. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that guy died in the 50s. That's how old he is. Yeah, there's a lot of dead people in movies. Did you know that? As I said in Brighton Rock last week, everybody's dead, even those babies. Yeah. Well, we'll find out if we get it. We'll soon find out if our movie next week will have a lot of dead people. Yeah, I'm, I'm every week. I'm always looking like, what year was this movie made? Is everybody dead? <laughs> Jason, what other what other bits and bobs? Yeah. Besides, is everybody dead? Oh, uh, this was a fun reference or fun bit. Of, so they were talking about uh, Boldwood and his previous relationships, and they said that he only had courted sixes and sevens. And I and laughed. You thought about Austin Powers. And, and I thought about member. Austin Powers because yeah. exactly. So then I looked it up, and they, yeah, it means like crazy people. Like like or yeah. if you're if you're sixes and sevens, you're crazy. I don't know what the I didn't see the etymology of that. She shot on a turtle. I like that feast they had. That was a lot of fun. They had a lot of singing. I love that song. I love that scene too because the song that Julie Christie sings. Apparently, if you listen to the lyrics of the song, it is actually about her. It's pretty much her character because she's she's dealing. Are with you talking a, about the one about the 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 lady and the great grenadier? The one she sings about bushes and briars. Oh, um, because the one that just she sings while where, while Alan Bates is playing the fiddle or whatever or the flute. Um, she uh, that song is basically about how she's like fending off all these suitors. So I thought that was interesting. Through bushes and through briars. I lately took my way, all for to hear the small birds sing, and the lambs to skip and play. All for to hear the small birds sing, and the lambs to skip and play. I overheard my own true love. His voice did sound so clear 
Long time I have been waiting for the coming of my dear. Long time I have been waiting for the coming of my dear. Sometimes I am uneasy and troubled in my mind. Sometimes I think I'll go to my love and tell to him my mind. But if I should go to my love, my love he will say nay. If I show to him my boldness, he'll never love me again. If I show to him my Did you find the sword stuff kind of immature? Like in the sense that like him showing off his sword work to her was very much all I could picture was like some 14 year old kid, like with a prospective girlfriend being like, do you want to see my nunchucks? Hey, <laughs> do, you, do you want to see me get top score crash bandicoot? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, let me show you. Let me just show off to you and, and, and metaphorically wave my dick around. Well, the difference is here, though. Um, I mean, he's very he, good. He, well, and he could have. With the slightest mistake, yeah. he could have killed her. Yeah, and it's clear based on the amount of stuff he does that, yes, he could have killed her at multiple points, and he says as much. As uh, much as I'd like to think that Crash Bandicoot is a dangerous uh, um, sport that I engage in once in a while because I'm, br- I'm a brave man, it's really not, and mm-hmm. there's no danger of death. I like the bit. So after the um, scene where you know Bulba tries to buy off Troy, uh, he goes into the house and he's basically going to fuck his wife on their honeymoon. And we see Boldwood sadly walking into the woods. And I thought, oh, God, is he going to kill himself, too? <laughs> or or may, I guess he, we haven't got to the point with Troy. But I thought, oh, is he just going to go into the woods and off himself? He's that dramatic? Because everybody seems so fucking dramatic. Jesus Christ, people. Get it was, over it. It was the time, man. Man, everybody's so fucking uptight. God, it's hard to watch. <laughs> now, Barn Dead seemed fun, though. They sent off all the women so they could finally have a real good time on their own. Am I right, bro? Well, they wanted the women to get the beds warm, as we said. Yes, so right. They could go home and get fucked when they. When which, which it didn't happen because they all fucking passed out in the barn. <laughs> so those women went home to get the beds warm and then just fell asleep because <laughs> their men didn't come home or stayed up all night or stayed up all night waiting for them. <laughs> Shit, in the storm, even fuck. <laughs> this is a horror film. Also, thought it was crazy. Like, so they're they're you know they're having a party in a barn, right? So you've got a bunch of high-proof liquor around. You've got a bunch of, like, torches, well, torches, oil lamps going, uh, and you're in, like, a place that's covered in hay. Like, that to me, like, I I was half convinced that they were just going to burn down the barn and it was going to be a tragic, like, everybody in the town died because they had a fucking party in this barn, this stone barn full of hay and fucking (laughs) oil lamps. (laughs) There's a couple of scenes that use a first-person camera in this movie. Did you notice that? I didn't. He basically, so it's a first person. The first one is a first person perspective where he walks in and you can see Julie Christie looking at him as he's asking for money, right? And then we, uh, much later, we do see it again when he comes back to that party at the end of the movie uh, where uh, Bulbut is going to announce that, you know, that they're promised to each other. We see him in first person at one point walking mm-hmm. through. But there's also one other first person, which is just randomly that when that um, uh, carriage driver gets drunk. Yeah, <laughs> we just see from his perspective as like he's like looking at a bunch of cows, and there's like an optical effect of them stretching out and shit, which I yeah. thought was really cool. 
It actually reminds me of uh, this old Hitchcock silent movie. I don't remember which one it is, but there's a character who's drunk, and it's like essentially this same effect. So it felt very cool. It felt very like uh, like early in the vein of like special effects. Now, did you play Red Dead Redemption Two, Brendan? I did. <laughs> did you remember the the mission with Lenny, where you went and got drunk with Lenny? Yeah. Did you remind you of that? Yeah, in the sense that that's like the ultimate end of that, like like this little like scene of this guy having kind of a fucked up vision is then the ultimate like evolution of that is that mission in Red Dead Redemption where you go get drunk with Lenny and there's all this different shit that happens in the course of it that's so fucked up, but also somewhat relatable to a person who's been drunk before. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, now to be fair, I have not walked into a bar and seen everybody resemble my friend who I was with, <laughs> but you know what? Maybe someday it could still happen. I've never gotten to that point, but I have gotten to the point where I... I I would have about a five minute memory. Yes. So and, and be like looking for a friend and being like, Justin, where oh, are you right there, buddy? All romances, Brendan, end in marriage. I love that line. That's a great line. It's funny. It's cynical, but it's funny. The baby being in the casket, that was fucked. I mean, it was realistic, but also just it's it's a it's a unsettling scene. Didn't think they would show it. I mean it, it be fair, this baby did not crawl on the ceiling, but no. but maybe was even more disturbing because of that. I think more disturbing just because it was a more uh, like a re- just a realistic looking dead baby. Yeah, and also that line, "I'm not morally yours." Wow, like what an interesting way to phrase things. Like, yeah, I'm married to you legally, but morally, I'm married to this dead woman in this casket, and I love her more than I'll ever love you. You brutal piece of shit, Frank. Fuck you. You deserve to be in the ground. Fuck. What was with the gargoyle spraying water on the grave? Like, I get the church, you know, the church has got all these buttresses and it needs to have drainage, but why would he put the grave right where the the fucking drainage was so that it would just spray water all over the grave? She's going to fucking come up. We're just going to see her casket because it's going to be washed away anytime there's a fucking storm. They didn't have science back then. That's right. That's true. Uh, Shit, I meant to look this up, but I, I... So when he's out swimming, when Frank's out swimming... I swear in the background, it looks like the White Cliffs of Dover, like the famous White Cliffs of Dover, because it's got like that, that really white quartz or whatever on the, on the, you know, beach. Sing it. The White Cliffs of Dover. I'm pretty sure it's a guitar song I remember from Guitar Hero. Oh no, there's a, there's a, there's this, there's this old timey war song about it too. Yeah, well, I still haven't figured out what episode, what song we need for the end of this episode yet. So I thought White Cliffs of Dover might be good, but there's probably a better one. White Cliffs of Dover. Is that? I, I don't know. No, it's I don't not know. It I don't all. remember it enough. Continue. It's just a cool song. And there's also a video game, Isle 2 Sturmovic Cliffs of Dover. <laughs> the uh, longest episode ever. <laughs> well, he drowned. When he drowned, or allegedly drowned, I thought, oh, that's great. Problem solved. Frank? Troy? Yeah, yeah, he's just written out of the picture. Like, great, now he's not a problem. But then he's still alive. What a dickhead. He... he Pretends to drown and then joins the circus. Like it's like the war. It's like the most cliched. I mean, maybe this is where it originated. That's what I'm wondering too. If this book is old enough, because this was like in the mid 1800s. Like, if this book is the origin of a number of these cliches, yeah. is running off with the circus a cliche that originated in this book, or is that something that was just common at the time or a cliche at the time that he seized upon? I don't know. We got to think that as this was a movie in, in an original film in, in 2021, we would be like running off at the circus. That's ridiculous. We have to look at it a bit differently. I think in this case, no, I get it. Like, like back then that was a thing that people yeah. could do theoretically, but it's just the, just the trope of it. I'm wondering. Yeah. Like, uh, what's with six years? Like why six years? Like why would his bulb would propose six years? He seems very old at this point. And you know, back then six years could mean he would be I, dead. 
I thought it had to do something with like her husband being di- like disappearing. That he has to be gone for a certain amount of time for the divorce. Yes, I the marriage should that. be like annulled. If there maybe. was some old law that said, "Oh yeah, if a person disappeared for six years, they're legally dead." Yeah, yeah, something like that. I, that's what I thought. So when they go to the fucking um, and uh, folks, I apologize for my swearing. When I drink, I, I get a little more sorry, bone. Than I normally am sorry, sorry bone. mom. If you're listening, I, I don't think you'd be listening. More like Did you say mom. I said sorry, bone. Oh, I just said sorry, mom. It's the, the but, pr- but honestly, I love my mom. She's not listening. My dad, maybe. Dad, if you're listening, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And we all we still want to know what song you uh what's what movie played while you made love and made Jason. Uh let's not talk about it. I wanna know it was nineteen eighty three, so well no. Make no, sure you yeah, tweet Jason specifically at Jason E. McLeod. That's M A C L E O D. Well, if I do the math. That's nine months before November. March? Yeah, March of nineteen eighty three. We'll, so we'll find we'll, out. What sometime. Movies were popular we'll we'll then. find out one day. I assume I was conceived in a theater. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, oh, so, so, yeah. So they go to the fair, right? And we talked about how they had like the slideshow and everything, and there's like rides and stuff, and it's very much that era of fair. But <laughs> there's a teeth pulling booth, like a straight up teeth pulling booth where you can go get your tooth pulled. I think that modern exhibitions need that. I think that's a terrible idea. Hey, Bill, what was that guy's name? Help me out here. Gates. No, 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 Brendan. You know, like as a kid, uh, going to the exhibition, it was Bill something here in the Maritimes. Simmons. Russell. Well, whatever it was. Get that. Get a teeth pulling booth. I want to go to the fair and have a teeth pulled. Have a tooth pulled. Jason, the movie that played while your father made love to conceive you was either The Outsiders, okay. 10 Ooh. to Midnight, the Charles Bronson film, Okay. My Tutor, Maybe <laughs> the Black Stallion returns. Oh, that you know what? That's probably it. <laughs> Hold on, class. Uh-huh. High Road to China. Okay. Or the Meaning of Life. No, it was the Black Stallion returns. One hundred percent. My 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 dad is a farrier. My mom grew up around horses. It was the Black Stallion returns. <laughs> there we go. We have an answer, <laughs> Jason. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Is Mickey Rooney in that, or is that was that just a TV show? I don't know. It's a movie released in March of nineteen eighty three. Okay, so uh, you know what? I'm just going to we're going to end this. This is going on far too long. The whole film is about emotionally fucked people trying to have relationships in an exceptionally rigid time. That's what this whole thing boils down to. These people don't have any sexual liberation. They they don't have the idea that they can just like go out, experience the world and get to know someone and 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 fall in love with them or have a relationship with them. They have a very like uh, formalized expectation of how relationships work, and that's do you think what this Terry? Is about the, do you think Terry Gar was the one that got your dad going? She's in the Black Stallion Returns. One one has to assume, Dad. If, if, I mean, I don't really want to know, but if you want to send an email, we can think of it as like a comment, and then I don't have to think too hard about it. <laughs> Sorry, Fuck. keep going. Fuck. Uh, yeah, no, but this, yeah, th- th- these people trying to deal in this situation that doesn't exist today. Like, I'm not saying that we live in a perfect society. Society will get better. That is a, that is a fact as time progresses. But uh, it, we've just we've come very far in the last 150 years, Brendan, and I'm proud of us as a society that we have made the progress we have. There's still a long way to go. Don't get me wrong. Electing the leaders we all know and love. Yeah, but uh, and and there's bumps in the road too. There's there's orange colored bumps in the road occasionally, but that shit happens. You know what yeah. can you do? <laughs> that's that your bits and bobs? Yeah, that's pretty much it, my bits and bobs. Okay. We got to end this shit. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the fact that this was nominated for one Oscar. Ooh. Which one do you think it got Best nominated? cinematography. No. Fuck you. Nominated for best original uh, original score. 
No. I mean, um, it's, I mean, the score is fine, which but I wouldn't say it's super memorable. It was won by um, one of your favorite movies of 1967, uh, Thoroughly Modern Melly. Yeah, no, it's great music. Um, at the BAFTAs, it's nominated for two awards. Does not win, but what do you think those two awards are? Best Cinematography and Best uh, Adapted Screenplay. Best Cinematography and Best Costume Design. Okay, yeah, good costumes. Um, both won by a movie that, you know, we could end up covering next week or, or sometime soon, uh, A Man for All Seasons. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, this movie was made for $3 million. That's pretty good. 80% of that budget was from MGM in the States. Uh, the movie actually this so and it and it made about three point five million in North America, which is more than the budget, but still not great. Yeah. But in the UK, it made it did a lot better. Yeah. Um, at the um, but this movie is actually one of the few on this list that actually kind of received mixed to positive reviews, and that did really like. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to kind of gauge from Rotten Tomatoes, especially for older films. Yeah. But this movie has a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has about From a critics 70 critics. What's critics. the audience rating? About 76. Okay. So, I mean, it's higher. Um, but, I mean, it got mixed to positive reviews. Even Roger Ebert, I think, gave it like a three out of four. He still liked it, but he wasn't like blown away by it. Yeah. But, Jason, I want to know what you thought about this. I know this was a three-hour film. I know this was an epic romance. I know this is better than English Patient. So tell us what you thought of this. So what you have here, Brendan, is what I like best about it is kind of the structure. I like that this, you know, you have these two parts, these two kind of two almost disparate, distinct parts where the first part is her living her life and being pursued by these men. And then the second part is, you know, after she's been married, then kind of the falling apart of that. That I like. It's great. Um, but it is a three hour romance movie. And, you know, this is not the worst movie we've ever watched, but also I was kind of just ultimately ambivalent about it. Like, I, I like Julie Christie. I like Alan Bates, uh, Peter Finch. Like, nothing against cast or anything, but it's just not my type of movie. And and as far as this type of movie goes, it's a good one. But, like, I feel like, what was it, Sense and Sensibility we watched? Mm -hmm. That was a better version of this. Yeah. Um, I would say I probably enjoyed it more than The Go-Between, yeah. ultimately. Um, and, and funny enough, because The Go-Between is a much shorter movie. Yes, absolutely. Like, But this is more interesting to me, I suppose, than yeah. that one. But I also like this more than uh, Remains of the... Uh, not Remains of the Day, sorry. Um, Room with a View, Room is what I'm saying. View. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, but it's just like, you know, it, it's hard to... Cr it, I don't want to shit on this movie, because it's not bad, but it's just not my thing. But, like, you know, if you like this sort of thing, if you like these, like, period romance movies, this is a solid one. I mean, there's no question. You, you There's a reason it's on this list. It is very well made. Uh, uh, the actors are all great. So if that's what you're into, check it out. But I, it's not going to be in my top 10, I'll tell you that. It's going to be in its top 20. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, no, I like this movie quite a bit. Um, it's not among my favorites, but it, it is a movie that surprised me because I expected it to be unbearable i thought yeah. maybe this could be english patient again this, this we could be running into a real uh it's always a possibility i mean that is that is the bottom of the the barrel as far as we've gotten so far <laughs> well i still think a possibility i still think women in love is worse but i know we're at odds at that one i you because i still say that, that the presence of alan bates and oliver reed however much you might think oliver reed's a piece of shit he's a fantastic actor and that that does help and that wrestling match was very strong i just hated that second hour so much yeah yeah but um, I do like this. Uh, I do like this movie quite a bit. I think Julie Christie 
Man, I don't know. This and Darling, I think this might be her best performance yeah. uh, that we've talked about. I think she's very good in this don't movie. Don't we still have one more? She's a supporting role, though. Okay. Yeah, but, well, I mean, she's probably still great. I'm sure. Um, but, like, Alan Bates, Terrence Stamp, Peter Finch. Like, this just a great cast. A stacked cast. Stacked cast. Historical cast. Um, And this movie is very beautiful. And Nicholas Rogue is a wonderful cinematographer. He is. Great director, too. We've talked about his movies. Um, so yeah, I really liked, I really liked it again. Again, it's, it, <laughs> I'm going back and forth. I'm kind of wavering cause it's not my, it's clear. It's not my favorite movie by any stretch, yeah. but it's a movie that I really appreciated because where I expected so little, yeah, I got, you know, something I enjoyed. So it's like, it's like that time I watched uh, grandma's boy. Okay. And I expected nothing going into it. I thought it was gonna be terrible and it ended up being pretty funny. So the, so folks, if you like grandma's boy, check out. <laughs> Far from the madding crowd. And don't listen to that recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> but now, Jason, we have to figure out what we're going to talk about next week. And the way we're going to do that is Jason is going to draw a name, uh, a movie, out of the envelope. It is the remaining movies on the BFI Top 100. We only got about 16 or 17 of these left. Um, Not a lot. So he's going to draw it out. He's going to give it to me. And I'm going to announce to you folks what we're going to talk about next week. Now, going into this, Brendan. Will we carry on? We want to carry on up the Kyber. That is our desire, and it has been our desire for a very long time. This has been since, like, episode one. At least At episode, least. like, ten. Yeah, we have been we have been waiting for carry on up the Kyber, so that is a distinct possibility. However, there is also the possibility that despite the fact that I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie, we could get uh, uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp next week, which is another three-hour epic. And, we, and you know what? We either spread them out or knock them out of the park. That's right, and it's been a while since we've had some three-hour epics, and we did kind of have them in a row, didn't we? Like, pretty close together. At the beginning, yeah, the very at the beginning, beginning, yeah. for sure. Between English Patient and fucking uh, Lawrence Arabia and Birds of the Requi. And Dr. Zulu, Chicago, Zulu was Zulu. Yep. Jesus, full Monty. <laughs> <laughs> so now here we go. Jason's going to draw out the movie, and we're going to find out what we're talking about next week. So Jason, do not look. Draw am, out your. I am putting my hand in the envelope. I am moving my fingers around. Draw out your paper. Hand it to me immediately. I'm just trying to find one, and there's a good one there. And I will hand it to Brendan, and he has it in his hand now, and he will read it to us. Well, Jason, I've got, first of all, I've got bad news. Yes. We're not talking about Carry Off the Kyber oh, yet. <laughs> we are talking about number 51 on the BFI Top 100, and it is hmm, Tom Jones. Oh, okay. Albert Finney, uh, Albert Finney. film, directed by uh, Tony Richardson. He also did uh, Taste of Honey. Uh, so we are going to talk about Tom Jones, a uh, a very busy movie at the Oscars. Is this like a, a, a Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story? Um, it's a it's a period piece, I think. It's yeah. it's part of it's like a silent movie. I know it's pretty wild. Is this movie unusual? I think it is unusual. Uh, uh, is there a pussycat in this movie? Uh, well, what what's new with you? Uh. Uh, third Tom Jones song reference. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> yeah, so we are we are to talk about Tom Jones, number right. fifty one I mean, on the BFI. We, I, I, can we just talk about the artist Tom Jones? Because I love it. I love the stuff from that Tom. I Jones. mean, if you don't think that episode is ending with a Tom Jones song, you're insane. That's right. It's not unusual <laughs> to be alone. I've been waiting for this one for a while. I've been interested in this one a little cool. bit. So, well, we'll is, is it that. two hours and ninety minutes long? <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's how we measure uh, a three and a half hour movie, but <laughs> it might be like two hours. We'll find okay. out. All right. So we'll talk about Tom Jones next week. But until then, Jason, they can find you on social media at BFI 
Well, no, that's you. That's uh, that's us. BFI underscore pod is us, but you can find me at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Stop on by. I might be talking about Mass Effect because Mass Effect's fucking great. And you should all play it. Or he might be talking about Far From the Madden Crowd. Either way. No, probably not. Probably Mass Effect. You know, I've seen a lot of Madden Crowd tweets. <laughs> Namely, <laughs> on the day of this release. <laughs> Madden Crowd! Uh, By the way, the remake should have been called Madden Crowd. Not just Far From the Madden Crowd, just Madden Crowd. What about well, just From the Madden Crowd? Or how about just Crowd? The Madden Crowd. Just Madding. Just Far. Mad. Mad. It's just mad. That's all they need is mad. You're so mad. Crazy. Okay. Mrs. Swan, we miss you. <laughs> Miss Swan. She's not married. Well, how dare uh, she's you? She's now. 2021. She definitely is. Anyway, <laughs> find Jason there. Find us at BFI underscore pod. We're on all the podcast apps. Our home base, of course, is Age of Radio. Ageofradio.org slash for screen and country. Um, TikTok. Check us out for screen and country on TikTok. On TikTok. You'll see a video from me. Enjoy it. Thank you, Daniel Barula, for the name for screen and country. Don't thank yes. you enough. You're the man. You are the man. You are the responsibility. You have the responsibility for us existing, is what I should say. And we bring present to you the key to the city. That's um, right. But until then, Jason, until next week when we talk about Tom Jones, the film, not the singer, I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country, I'm I'm Jason. Cheerio. Hello, and have a bit of the old out. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places. Worn out faces Bright and early for their daily races Going nowhere, going nowhere Their tears are filling up their glasses No expression, no expression Hide my head, I wanna drown my sorrow No tomorrow, no tomorrow And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take When people run in circles, it's a very, very mad